0: bonus so money ask Farnoosh with special co-host Tiffany Dolby of Charles Schwab
1: you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from Farnoosh herself Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry,
0: you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
1: There are risks and rewards with every investment. And the biggest thing, Sarah, that you want to look out for is what percent of your total wealth is tied to your employer,
0: Welcome to an extra episode of So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Thursday, June 27th. And surprise, we have a bonus episode. Today, we're in conversation with Tiffany Dolby, who's a branch manager at Schwab. She is based out of a suburb of Chicago called Winnetka, Illinois. Tiffany has been with Schwab for almost 11 years. She started there right out of college and as uh, she was telling me, always interested in economics and personal finance. She has a bachelor's degree in economics from Purdue University. So super grateful to have her kind of, you know, share the mic with me today as we go through your money questions. We are answering questions about stock purchase programs. You just heard her give a little bit of advice around that, paying off debt while saving and paying down monthly bills. If this sounds like you. You want to keep listening. Also, we're breaking down the differences between all the different types of investments that we hear about, but maybe we need some clarity around. Things like ETFs, index funds, mutual funds. What are the differences? As many of you know, I'm working with Charles Schwab to help spread financial literacy to the masses, and it's been a really great collaboration so far. We're doing these extra bonus episodes once a month. I'm a Charles Schwab customer and have been for many years. So before we get started, just wanna thank Charles Schwab for helping us get this financial education content to you. All right, here we go. Without further ado, hit in the mailbag with Tiffany Dolby. Tiffany Dolby, welcome to So Money, Ask Farnoosh and Tiffany. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Farnoosh. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So this is a recurring series that we have here on So Money, these bonus episodes where we get to work with an actual financial planner from Schwab to sift through some of our money questions. It's so helpful for me to know that I have an expert sharing the mic. And you, uh, Tiffany, you've been with Charles Schwab for about 11 years. Um You started mm-hmm. there right out of college from Purdue University. And even before you got to Schwab, you were majoring in economics, always seems to have had this interest in money, business, economics. What does that come from?
1: Yeah, I went to Purdue, majored in economics. I got to throw a little boiler up out there for all of our Boilermaker listeners. But, you know, I really had a interest in business as long as I can remember. My dad was an attorney and an entrepreneur. So I always had to write business cases growing up to go on vacation, or if I wanted to purchase something. So that love of business really started early on. And then my mom is a teacher and an educator. So I always have that desire to help people learn and to grow. It's really funny looking back over my history and how I decided to come into finance. Um, I remember being uh, six or seven and setting up lemonade stands uh, Uh on the side of the road. And I just, I thought that that was so fun being able to make some decisions about what type of lemonade we were going to have. But, you know, I also... Ended up having little cookies and snow cones, so there I was as a <laughs> multiple revenue on the side of the road, <laughs> right, with a little organization, um, um, trying to you know make the most and be the most efficient. So I, I like that story because it just it really shows how my brain has kind of always worked that way, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, you know moving into this industry, being able to help people and be in a business where it is, you know, logical and business minded, um, as well as being creative as well. So I thought it was a great path.
0: Yeah. You're teaching people how to think outside the lemonade stand. And yep. adventure into other enterprises, I love it. Um, well, great! You're you're the perfect person to help us with some of these questions. Is a lot of these listeners who've written in through Instagram and elsewhere. They seem to be kind of in that stage of life where they're trying to just create building blocks for themselves, um, grappling with debt, but also trying to plan for their future. Our first question is from Gina, and she just to give you a little bit of background, she's 32, single, makes about 34. Thousand dollars a year. She has about twenty-seven thousand dollars in debt, and that is um, seems to be credit card debt for the most part. So uh, that's important to know. Two credit cards, and mm-hmm. um, trying to work on getting out of debt. Meantime, she's looking at retirement planning, and she gets a 6% match for retirement, and she would like to take advantage of that. So her question is, and this gosh, this is something that I hear a lot, especially in this cohort of millennials who are maybe still dealing with student loans and credit card debt, and also knowing yeah. that it's important to start planting seeds for their future, how do I pay off debt and save at the same time? So is there a better way, she says, that I can pay off my debt all the while trying to save money and pay my bills. She works full-time nights, going to school and working extra hours to pay off the debt. So she's a hustler. She's not afraid of doing the good work. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of in that demographic, uh, Tiffany. So what would be your advice to Gina?
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, in Gina's doing such a great job working, going to school, putting in extra hours, already contributing to her company plan. So definitely kudos to her uh, for sure. Um, And I I really commend her for asking this question and wanting to get engaged and wanting to find additional ways to pay down debt and save. And sometimes it's so hard with so many different conflicting priorities. Um, You know, we hear Contribute to your plan, save as much as you can, but then you also have the debt. So, you know, Schwab really has eight saving fundamentals, but the first four are fundamentals that should be done in order. So it really helps us prioritize Mm -hmm. and figure out what's the most important So number one would be don't leave free money on the table. Um, If your employer offers a 401k match, you definitely want to participate in that. And she's already doing that. So awesome work, Gina. Uh, Number two, when it comes to debt, we really want to focus on the high interest debt that's not deductible, like credit card debt, which sounds like Gina's also doing, which is great. Uh, a couple tips to help knock out that credit card debt would be stop using the cards and start paying off the card with the highest interest rate first. Uh, also, see if perhaps one of the cards that she has can be consolidated into the other, making it for a easier payment. And always make sure you're paying your payments on time because we really want to make sure that you maintain that good credit. Mm-hmm.
0: And then from there, I think a great place to start getting more aggressive with the emergency fund, retirement. And one, one more other thing that I would say about credit card debt, a couple of resources for you. Um, Gina, one is the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. So with someone who has $27,000 in credit card debt, making $34,000 a year, you know, you don't really have a lot of breathing room between like what's coming in and what you owe. So I would recommend if you think it would you would benefit from it is working with a credit Um, advocate. So so the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, it's a nonprofit organization. They've got clinics all over the country. NFCC.org is the website. You go in for the first meeting, which is free. They'll help you kind of find first within your budget some cash that you can shore up to put more towards the debt, the high interest debt. But also if you work with them in their program, they can help to make phone calls for you and work with your creditors, your credit card companies to either reduce interest rates. Like you mentioned, Tiffany, maybe you can like consolidate, maybe you can get rid of some of the fees, lower the interest rates, et cetera. It's not like a quick fix sort of situation. You're not, um, you're not getting out of debt overnight, but it's a plan that they can put into place with you and then work with you as your advocate, which sometimes I feel like it's just nice to have a partner in crime. When you're trying to do something that can feel really overwhelming. That's such a great resource. But yeah, but just to continue with the last two of the four pillars you wanted to talk about, you know, after you take the free money, which sounds like you're doing with your retirement match, and then paying off the credit card debt, you know, building an emergency fund, you know, it's not like it's – Secondary, But I would like to think that we can do a little bit at the same time. We don't have to start saving all of the money right away. Just getting in the habit of saving $5 a day, $10 a day, whatever, mm-hmm. I think is, is, a, is a fair place to start. Um, and eventually contribute more to retirement when you make more, right?
1: Absolutely. Yep. So you you got it. Number three, make sure you're building that emergency fund. And, you know, I love what you said about putting a little bit away here and there. You know, every time you go buy your coffee and pay your coffee company $4, put $4 in your savings account as well. You know, try to think about it like that. Um, And then number four, once you have that buffer built up, then you can really start increasing your contributions into your company plan.
0: Yes. And you can automate that where every year you just tell the 401k to, can, you know, you tell your employer that you want to contribute more than last year. So you do like a percentage more every single year. And usually we get what that nominal 3% bump anyway every year if we're lucky just to keep up with inflation. So, um, so if you want to do it that way, that's also recommended. Automation is the key here, right? With all of these steps, whether you're auto, whether you're putting money in retirement, you're paying down debt, you're saving, try to the extent that you can make all of these actions automatic. You're just more likely to uh, to do them.
1: That's a great point, Pernush. Um, I personally have multiple different checking accounts set up, and that way, I have money automatically going into different funds, so that way I can make sure I'm saving for the my short term needs.
0: Another question here we have from Andrea, and this is a pretty big question, and I think a lot of people are probably scratching their heads over these terms. She wants to know the difference between ETFs, index funds, and mutual funds. These are not interchangeable, although we talk about them a lot when we're talking about investing, and specifically Andrea is interested in long-term aggressive growth investment option. So disclaimer, we're not going to give you specific investment options on this show because for that, really, we need to know a lot more about Andrea. And I don't know how old she is. I don't know what other things she's got going on. So Mm -hmm. appreciate that she's got this interest and desire, but wouldn't be prudent for us to give you specific investment tips. But we can talk broadly, right, Tiffany? We can talk about just generally what are the differences between these three Types of investment uh, vehicles, and I'll start with just index funds. I'm a big fan of index funds, and you know, just like it sounds, index funds track an index, a market index like the broad market, the S and P 500. These we often call index funds passive investments uh, because there's not any active management going on within these funds. Um, And you know, studies show that people who just kind of pick an index fund, a market index fund. And they ride it for the duration of their lives through retirement. You, the returns are pretty healthy, and they often do um, do well. They do they do better than um, just you know other kinds of actively traded funds. So I like that for that reason. I like that also because they're not actively managed. They tend to have much lower fees than um, another kind of fund, like a mutual fund, which we can get into. That is all about active management. But I'll, I'll pass the baton to you, Tiffany, to kind of talk about broadly ETFs and mutual funds, which by the way, index funds can be inside ETFs and mutual funds, right? Correct. So an index
1: fund is really what the underlying securities are tracking. So you could have an index ETF or an index mutual fund. So it's more of a category rather than a specific investment type. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out, Pernush. That's a very um, important distinction. And I love that Andrea asked this question because I get this question so many times from our clients and investors because we hear the news, we hear about all of these different vehicles. There's uh, many different types of products, and they can get confusing trying to understand what the differences are. They are both similar in the sense that an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund, and a mutual fund, they're both a basket of securities. So instead of purchasing one single company, the fund itself is purchasing, it could be hundreds of different companies. So the advantage of that is that you are diversified and you're not having your risk lay with only one or five or 10 specific companies. Now the main difference between exchange traded funds and mutual funds uh, is that ETFs do typically tend to be more passive, like you mentioned, so following an index. Because of the passive investments They typically have lower costs. Mutual funds, on the other hand, while you can have some passive mutual funds, most of them are actively managed. So the fund manager is trying to do better than the market. Because of that, they typically have a little bit higher fees. Mm Another really big difference is the tax efficiency. And I don't want everyone to fall asleep when I start talking about taxes here, (laughs) but this is a really important piece because the exchange-traded fund, the ETF, can be much more tax efficient for a few different reasons compared to mutual funds. So with the ETFs, they typically don't pass through what's called capital gains, whereas mutual funds do. Mm So one of the most disappointing things about investing is when you may have a a loss in the market. If the market is down, yet you still have to pay taxes because there were some gains that were passed through. Right. You know, you really want to speak with someone like an advisor to make sure that we understand your needs and goals, because that's really what the most important thing is here is trying to understand what are you trying to accomplish? Because there's a lot of different ways to get from A to B. But where does that path lead you how volatile is that path and and that's what you know advisors want to help you figure out
0: I also like maybe starting your research at Morningstar. Uh, they just have a lot of, they have a big database of, of all these types of investments and they can kind of tell you what's inside of them, how much they cost, what are the fees, what what are the minimums. Um, and then just to wrap, Tiffany, I think it's important just maybe to give a few quick pointers as to like how to actually choose your investments. But it's really important to be diversified, right? Start with broad-based funds, watch out for those fees, and then, like you pointed out, consider the tax implications. And you said that mutual funds are not as tax-friendly as ETFs. For the most part, that's correct. Cool. All right. We hope that was enough to arm you with, Andrea, and good luck. And I hope that was helpful for everybody. I know that must have been because if you're getting all these questions at Schwab, I'm sure my audience has that those kinds of questions <laughs> as well. Sarah on Instagram um, wants – kind of staying on this investing topic. So she – was recently given the option to purchase discounted stock of her company through an employee program. So she bought a few shares because it you know sounded like a good deal. She had a little bit of extra money that she didn't mind playing with. It's her first time buying stock in anything and doesn't really know what to do. So she bought the stocks. They're just sitting there. Um, she's wanting to know uh, what. You know, what are some bad signs to watch out for? Should she leave it alone? Are there good or bad signs to watch out for? Any particular resources that we can suggest to her for learning more? I mean, one thing I will say that I like is that she didn't go crazy in this stock purchase program, right? We often say that it's important to... Be diversified. And so, in that, you don't go overloading on your company's stock. I think um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. exuberance around company stock because I work for this company. And people say, like, there's no institution we trust more than the place that we work for. Um, so, there's a lot of desire, maybe, to jump in, you know, into the deep end, buying stock purchase programs, especially at a discounted price. But it sounds like she just kind of dabbled in it. Now, is there anything that she really needs to do? Is there any maintenance? Should she watch? out for anything, Tiffany? I think this is a great question. And Sarah, I'm I'm so glad that you're getting involved with your
1: stock purchase plan and taking the initiative to start investing. Uh, You know, Charles Schwab has a a stock purchase plan um, that I participate in as well. I think it's a great option if you do want to be able to invest and you know give a little bit back to your company. There are risks and rewards with every investment. And biggest thing, Sarah, that you want to look out for is what percent of your total wealth is tied to your employer. So if you think about that, your salary, your 401k bonus compensation, equity awards, that could be quite a bit all tied up in your company. According to the Schwab Center for Financial Research, you should be concerned if one stock, including your employer, accounts for more than 10% of your total equity exposure. And then really, alarm, alarm bells should sound if that number jumps to 20%. And that's assuming the rest of your portfolio is diversified. So the stock purchase plan is a great way to continue to invest and participate in purchasing that stock You just really want to make sure that you're not over-leveraging yourself in Mm -hmm. the company. Um, But I would also say that you want to think through the tax implications of selling your shares. So whether you want to continue to hold on and save and grow those, or if you want to sell them to generate some cash, because you did purchase it at a, a discount, so it's a great opportunity for that as well, you want to think about the tax implications. And there's a lot of different tax implications depending on the exact program that your employer may have set up. So typically, most employers will have a department that you can talk to that will break down all the details of what type of plan you have and what the tax implications are.
0: All right. So check with HR, I guess, is is our final tip is do go and learn a little bit more about the the implications if you were to sell this. Um and it doesn't sound like she's overly le- leveraged here. I think it sounds like it's just a little bit. But mm-hmm. you're right, always good to just keep that benchmark in mind. 10% is is what we've heard as well on our end. All right. So last question here and thank you Tiffany for helping us out with that question. I I don't always know the the details around, you know, employee purchase plan stock purchase plans. Um so it's helpful to have someone like you who's a little bit more versed in this. So this question is from Lori and she says, it's been almost a year since her mother had a hospitalization. She's 94 and her dad is 93. Um, the situation snowballed into where... Lori had to get cash flow from her parents' savings bonds. They had all of their cash and savings bonds. She had to sell their home. And now she's finished tax season, which is also difficult because she couldn't locate a lot of their documents. Long story short, she's looking to use their $400,000, which she's extracted now into their bank account wondering how to keep this liquid, but also have it be there to help with long-term care. And so on the one hand, she's like, I got to keep this liquid. On the other hand, should she invest it a little bit just so that it can grow in the event that you know her parents may have some huge medical expenses in the future? It's kind of scary to think that you need more than $400,000 for something like that. But- That is the state that we're in (laughs) with our current healthcare system. Any advice for her? I mean, look, I don't think she should be, quote unquote, investing this in things like we just talked about, like mutual funds, ETFs, index funds. But there's probably something in between, right? Between just a checking account and an ETF. And so talk about maybe some of that middle ground that could be a better place for this money.
1: So I would say to Lori, you know, if she hasn't done so, try to have some discussions with her parents about what else she might need to know that would make it easier for her moving forward. Um, getting an estate plan in order can really, really help these difficult times be easier, especially when you're caring for your aging parents, and you know, there's a lot of emotions involved on both sides of this as well. The advantage of having an estate plan in place is that you have a better understanding of where everything is, the value of the possessions, retirement accounts, what insurance policies they have, She may have some type of long-term care policies set up already. If that's the case, she would definitely want to know. Um, And of course, any additional liabilities or debts that her parents still have. But as far as the cash that she has in the bank account, you know, you would really want to consider options like a high-yield savings account money market funds, or even a certificate of deposit a CD, something that would be a short-term option, give you a little bit more return than just sitting in cash, but still have liquidity in case you need it immediately.
0: Yeah. And I actually just interviewed an author of a book called Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk. (laughs) You can guess what that's about. It's a financial book. But yeah, I mean, in this case, her parents are 94 and 93. It's never too late to have these conversations, especially now as she's in the aftermath of, sounds like being in the midst of a, a lot of headache with not knowing where paperwork was and having to sell their home and liquidate their certificates of depart their savings bonds and so she's already in it right so it's not mm-hmm. inappropriate now to come have some follow up questions and to figure out maybe yeah i mean gosh that would be so great if they actually had long term health insurance because right what a, a saving grace and for anyone listening who's like in their 50s or 60s or has family in their 50s and 60s Definitely something to look into because the older you get, the lo- the likelihood of qualifying is so much more difficult as you age for long term care. But if you plan on living a long life, and you you know nobody can guarantee what's ahead as far as our health goes and what the state of health insurance is in this country, so having long term health insurance can be for many people a saving grace. I think I saw a statistic that like two thirds of people will would benefit from this um, in their aging years. So, you know, not to digress too much, but I think that Lori, I think her parents are really lucky to have her. She's she's really like, absolutely. thank mm-hmm. you, Lori, for the, the kind work that you're doing helping out your family. Yeah, and, you
1: know, like you said, Furnish, it's never too late to have that conversation. I would also say it's never too early to have that conversation. You know, really, the earlier, the better. Uh, something that we like to do with our financial advisors here with Charles Schwab is have family meetings. So have two, three generations of family in the room and talk about these things because they can be difficult to talk about. So having somebody really guide you through that conversation could be a huge benefit.
0: Yeah, really, really important advice. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Really appreciated having okay. you hang out with me on Ask Farnoosh. And um, just want to share to listeners that if you want to learn more about Schwab and how to work with them, go to schwab.com slash so money. And just as a reminder, Schwab offers a range of services for people looking to invest and plan for their future. Whether you want to invest on your own with the help of do-it-yourself tools and education resources, get some periodic guidance from a professional, or work with someone like Tiffany in a branch, you can get it all at schwab.com forward slash so money. Tiffany, thanks again. Thank you for next- to learn more about Schwab and how to work with them, visit schwab.com slash SoMoney. Schwab offers a range of services for people looking to invest and plan for their future. Whether you want to invest on your own with the help of do-it-yourself tools and educational resources, get some periodic guidance from a professional, or work with someone in a branch, find it all at schwab.com slash SoMoney.